precious love and leave your child alone. Welcome to the Revs Podcast. Today, Elder Josh will be speaking to us on 1 Samuel chapter 9, entitled God's Providence and Plan. This is another sermon in our sermon series, Transition to the King. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand praise one more time. We thank, we thank the Lord for the praise team and even a, even a, a devotion led by our own brother, Brother Isaiah. Amen. Amen. We, we have uh, truly, um, the Lord has blessed Revelation Church. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, when, when our praise team sings like that and we all sing together, it makes preaching a little bit more easy, you know what I mean? <laughs> makes it a little, little bit easier to, to preach. Let's, let's all turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Samuel chapter 9. Let me pray. God, we come to you today. God, we just thank you for today, Lord, as we begin to preach the sermon. God, I, I pray that uh, that you speak through me. Lord, don't let don't let me become filled with pride or anything, Lord. But let me speak the truth of the gospel. Lord, let me glorify you and that uh, the people might see your glory, Lord, and that they might um, also worship you because of what you have done. God, I, I pray as we continue to go through this series in 1 Samuel, that you continue to open our eyes. God, you, you have a lot for us here in 1 Samuel, as, as well as all the books of the Bible. But Lord, let us, um, let, let us mind the word of God for all it's worth, Lord. Lord, so I, I pray um, also that you forgive me of all my sins, the things that I say, do, and think that's not like you. Lord, uh, help focus my mind, Lord, that I might... Uh, that I might present the gospel in its full entirety. God, I just thank you. I praise you for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, church, I just thank I thank the Lord for uh, thank the Lord on today. I'm happy to be here. Happy to worship uh, with you guys. You know, I had this whole big uh, opening part of the sermon um, in order to in order to congratulate Brendan on graduating from school, and he's not here. Uh, but when y'all see Brendan, tell him congratulations. He finished, he finished up at uh, Cerritos College. So, so when y'all when y'all see him around, say oh, congratulations, Brendan. But also uh, look at him because he told nobody that he was graduating. So uh, tell him next time you would like an invite as he pursues his uh, bachelor's degree. Amen. You know, it's not that everybody will be there, but at least, you know, some probably two or three can represent the whole, you know what I mean? So, but that, that don't just go for him, but that's for, for all of us. We have to make sure that we're involved in each other's lives, amen? And one way of doing that is that we tell each other when events are going on so that we actually can be, someone can be there. It, again, it's not like all, um, everybody will be there, but we do want someone here, someone there to represent the whole. To let you know that you're at Revelation Church and that we love you. Amen? Amen. The, the, Bible, the Bible tells us, uh, Paul instructs the Romans, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice. 
we can't rejoice if you don't tell us, you know what I mean? It's only so much rejoicing we can do secondhand. We can say, oh, yeah, well, I want to be there. I want to see, see the event if I'm able to, amen? So we can rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, don't, don't keep, and even if it's something sad, the Bible tells us what? To weep with those who weep. That's how we build community, right? It's the highs and the lows of life, not just the highs. You know, we live in such an age where only the highs are presented, right? You look on social media and everybody only posts the good stuff. You know, it's rarely those who post, like, all the bad things or all the average things that happen to them in life. We only promote what is good. So we want to we wanna, uh, go beyond um, what we call social media fellowship and uh, go into a deep fellowship where we, we're with each other in the highs and lows of life. Amen? Amen. So that's, that's my exhortation to us as a church. Um, so let's get, let's get started on with this sermon. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Um, so I asked myself, I said, how do you start a sermon about a couple of men searching for a few lost donkeys? Um, where, where do you begin? Uh, why is this story in the Bible in the first place? Uh, what am I supposed to learn from it? Um, how does it fit in the grand scheme of things uh, when we look at 1 Samuel, right? So these are the questions that I ask myself. And, you know, um, we have to have confidence in this one thing, that God had the narrator put this story in there for our benefit. It is for our benefit. It, it might not be apparent always right, right away. Some things we can read and say, I know why that's there. I know what I am supposed to see in this particular um, scripture. Um, this may not be so with this, um, with this scripture. But we have to have the confidence that Paul had, right? Paul said, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Right? So we know that we're supposed to gain something from this strange chapter of two people on a search for donkeys, right? We we don't we're not very familiar with searching for donkeys, right? I, I I search for a lot of things, but my mom never said go search for our donkeys. You know what I mean? But Paul also said that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped in every for every good work. It is apparent that Paul had a high view of Old Testament Scripture. He understood that Old Testament Scripture was valuable, that even these strange um, chapters are valuable. Um, we, we read through the Old Testament, and a lot of times you, you come upon what? Genealogies. And you say, why is this here? I think the book of Numbers is almost a book of genealogy, right? As they, as they list everyone pretty much who was there in those tribes. But why is God, you say, why, God, are you being so detailed? He, he, um, you can point to a couple of things that's, that's happening, why God is being so detailed. One, so you can know that it's true. He, he, he's pointing you to a truth. 
that so many people are able to bear witness to it, right? And then, what, what else is he doing? Uh, if we look at the books that contain genealogies, it's marching you towards the ultimate genealogy. It's marching you towards the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Right, right? It, it starts off with Adam, and then you get Adam, you get um, you get the genealogy like uh, Abraham, right? It goes back it, from Abraham, it goes back. Then from Isaac, it goes back. From Jacob, it goes back. You have all these genealogies. Then the genealogies branch off really wide, right? And then they narrow back down to the line of Judah. Why? Because that was important. He wanted to show you. He wanted to show you that this is where I'm going to bring, this is how I'm going to bring my son into this world. Amen? So now we come, we come across this uh, scripture, and we want to see what does God have for us. But it's, it is important for us as we read it to slow down to really take in everything that's happening. Sometimes we read through and um, we, we get what is big, but we miss the small picture. We miss the detail. You know, have you ever been to an art gallery? And sometimes people, I know when I go places with my wife, I'm just like, okay, we're here. We saw that, we saw that, we saw that. Check it off our list. But my wife, when she gets to the art gallery, she can sit there. And study the art. And she finds detail within the art. She finds little intricacies. She reads up on the history of the artist. She knows the period and the timepiece. And you know, this last time we went to an art gallery was probably my best time because I read, I read through it with her. And so when she says, yeah, this happened while he was in the asylum. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, the asylum. Well, okay, well, this is what's happening. And you can see him painting. This is Van Gogh painting people in the crazy asylum that he was in. Right? Crazy asylum? Okay, good. He was in a crazy asylum. You see, after he left there, he probably just went right over and said, okay, that, that experience is over. But we have to be able to pay attention to the intricate details. And I guarantee you that you will not be disappointed. So before we launch off into 1 Samuel chapter 9, it is good for us to review what happened in chapter 8 because it's important to what's going on right now. Right? Remember, um, we, are given, we are given Samuel is getting old, right? He, well, getting old. He is old. And his sons are judges. He has been appointed judges, but his sons are not like him. They took bribes and they perverted justice. That's what the Bible tells us. Upon seeing this, the elders of Israel gathered and came to Samuel, right? So they all gathered together and said, let's go, and come to let's go come to Samuel. This scene reminds me of the play uh, Hamilton, if you guys have seen the play Hamilton, where the three antagonists, uh, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and Aaron Burr, gather and corner Alexander Hamilton to confront him about some damaging documents. Right? Upon seeing these three, Hamilton suspiciously, suspiciously goes, Jefferson, Madison, Burr, what is this? Because he's surprised because he knows that it's bad news when all three of those guys get together, right? I can only imagine that Samuel feels the same way. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Judah, even Zebulun, 
okay, what's going on here? When, when he sees all the elders, he's like, this is not a appointed meeting. What's going on? What do they see? They see they want to they want them to uh, make Israel a king. They want Samuel to say, hey, we want a king. Your sons are not like you. We need somebody to rule over us. Samuel is displeased at this request, but goes to God. And God says, give them what they want. But warn them about what they ask for. And you have to see, because this variation of ask for is mentioned about six times in 1 Samuel chapter 8 in different variations. It's about six times. He is making it clear. He, God is making it clear is that what Israel is, Israel is asking for something different. You asked for a king. He said, you reject, they're they not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me by asking for a king. But we get here. Samuel warns them, and even after warning them, they say, no, make us a king. And that's the way that the chapter ends with Samuel just sending them home. He doesn't fulfill their request at the moment. He just sends them home. And this is where we pick up First uh, Samuel chapter 9. In this chapter, I would like to point out three items for consideration. I want you to see that there is a pivot, there is providence, and there is a plan. God indeed has something for us in this strange chapter. I pray that we come away with a greater knowledge than God, of God than we had before we started this study. Amen? Amen. So 1 Samuel 9, 1 and 2. If we take a look at that, it says, there comes a point when, given a chronology of events, there comes a pivot or a change from one thing to another or from one main character to another. In the book of Acts, the first portion of the book is dedicated to the works of the original, uh, Jesus' original disciples, but mainly Peter. But then comes chapter 13, and it pivots. It changes the main character. The main character now becomes who? Paul. And for the rest of the book, Luke writes about the work Paul was doing as he journeyed spreading the gospel to Gentile nations. Right? So the, the, the narrative, the narrative changes. That's what a pivot is. So we see a pivot here. How do we know that we're experiencing a pivot? Why? How, how do we know that? We know that because of the introduction. Let's read. It says, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, uh, the son of Aphias, a Benjaminite. Right? At the reading of that, our ears should tingle because what? Because this is the exact same way Samuel began chapter 1. First, the, the first chapter of Samuel begins. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, what does it say? There was a certain man of Ramathatham Zophram, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. So Samuel is now, the, book, the narrator in Samuel is now pivoting. We have completed the main portion of Samuel's story. We went from when he was born to when he is now an old man. But now it comes a time where it's time to change, right? 
This happens all this happens all the time. Pivots happen at all pivots happen at every um, stage of life. We don't do things the same. It's also true of the church, right? The church is necessary to have pivots. Think about it. If Paul didn't did not give uh, Timothy and Titus their charge, Christianity would have stopped with the apostles. But he gave it to Timothy and Titus, who he then instructed to do what? Hand it down to faithful men. So this is what we see, that it comes a time where we all have to pivot. We can't all keep doing the same thing. We get older. Samuel couldn't judge the same way he judged all the time. He got older. And so his sons were not fulfilling the position right. For better or for worse, Israel asked for a king for a reason. They asked for it for a reason because these judges were not doing what they were commanded to do. But here we see, we see this pivot is going to go from Samuel, to, from Samuel to Saul. But when we look at the way it starts, it's, the way it starts, it doesn't mention Saul right away. Who does it mention? It mentions Kish. Just like the first part mentions who? Elkanah. Right? And so what's interesting about the narrator, he speaks in these terms where he's always associating the father and the son. We have Elkanah and Samuel. We have Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. We have Samuel and Joel and Abijah. We have Kish and now Saul. The, the narrator wants us to see that these see these relationships. We have two good relationships, right? Because even when we look at Saul, for the most part, he's about to be obedient to his father. We see two good relationships. And we see two bad relationships. Two relationships that they did not hearken to the words of their father. Or they did not follow in the ways of their father. It is important for us to see this as, as people who are parents or maybe are grandparents. But you Y'all can still hear me, right? It's important the way we raise kids. We want to raise them in the fear of the Lord. We want to keep instructing them. The, the way we want to keep instructing them, keep feeding them the word of God. Amen? Amen. So Saul is going to take over as main character in the narrative. And as we shift away from the time of the judges, we're going to establish now the time of the kingdom in Israel. Saul seems to be a specimen to behold. Look at the def look how they describe him. He's tall, right? He's handsome. Man, I'm I'm lucky that they just say dark because y'all be swooning all over Paul and Saul here, right? Y'all be but for luckily for the average Joe, he the, the Bible doesn't say he's tall, dark, and handsome. He's just tall and handsome, all right? He got two out of three, so the average Joes, y'all shouldn't feel bad. You know what I mean? But they describe him. It would be a person that you would look for as a leader. You would want to look at. You would say, hey, yeah, that's, that's, who, uh, that's who I want to look at as a leader. I wouldn't mind if he was delivering the news all the time. 
I wouldn't mind if he was riding, riding us off into battle. Right? Um, but when we look at but when we look at Saul, something pops out to us. Saul's name is significant. Saul's name means asked for. Last chapter, what did we learn? That Israel asked for a what? A king. Now we're introduced to Mr. what? Asked for. We're introduced to the one that everybody's asking for. When, when we meet Saul, what, and one of the interesting things Samuel says is, aren't you the one that is desirable in all the land? You're the one that everybody's been asking for. Mr. Saul, Mr. Asked for. Our brains should start clicking. We should start to be able to, uh, we should start to be able to associate what they requested in verse uh, in chapter 8 and what God is sending in chapter 9. He's sending them what they asked for. But we have a saying that says, be careful what you what? Ask for. Why? Because you just might what? Get it. This is what God's trying to give them. He said, be careful. You ask for him. I'm going to send you what you asked for. I am sending you specifically asked for. This is the gift wrap for the people of Israel. So that's the pivot there. You are pivoting away from the judge and you pivoting to what you have asked for. You pivoting to everything that you like to look at. He's beautiful. He's tall. He's established from a good family. He's rich. He's everything you ask for. But he's not, but he doesn't have a heart for God. Listen, church. And I know we, we, we speak it in like, uh, in male terms here. But this goes for everybody. God is... God will send you what you ask for so that you can learn to say that, no, God, you are enough. He will teach you who's enough. Be content with me. Because if I give you what you ask for, you're not going to be happy. He told them. He told them that he's going to take your kids. He's going to put them in his army. They're going to bake his food. You asked for him. Even after the warning, you asked for him, so I'm going to send him to you. But how does he come? He doesn't come, he doesn't come regular. He doesn't come riding in on, on, on the cloud. He comes by the providence of God. Now we're going to shift to point two. By the providence, we see God's providence, but we have to really look at it. When we speak about providence, we have to look at the details of what's going on. For this, we, we turn to verses 3 through 14. Let's look at it here. It says, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one, uh, take one of the young men with you and, and arise and go look for the donkeys. And he passed through 
the hill country of Ephraim and passed through all the land of uh, Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land, the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. Right? And I'm going to read this last part. When they came to the land of Zuf. As we come to this section of scripture, we are met with the story of two men in search of donkeys. We have, we have a saying that the devil is in the detail. This usually is used when talking about the fine print in a contract. Something that we don't expect to have been covered is covered, right? We say the devil is in the detail. But I say to you today, that looking at scripture, that God is in the detail. When we look at events that God has arranged, we call it providence. In this section, we will start by getting a good definition of providence, then we will give you a defense of providence, and then the details of providence, all right? So the definition of providence, as with many things, when we talk about definitions, it's good to come to terms. The last thing you want to do is start an argument about a term you don't know about. You have built this big defense only for somebody to say, that's not what that means. And you're like, are you sure? And they say, yeah, I'm sure. And then your whole defense just crumbles because you didn't know the meaning of a word. Sometimes this is how we do when we come across words like providence. We probably can use them, but do we really know what they mean? I think Charles Spurgeon had a good definition. He says providence is God most holy, wise, and powerful, um, preserving and govern, governing of all his creatures and all their actions. So providence is seen in God ordaining circumstances or events to occur or not occur. Right? So this is, this is providence. And for providence, we have to slow down. And we have to really consider what's going on. Um, and we have to defend it, right? Because we live, the defense of providence is that, that we live in this time where we think, um, we think stuff happens by chance. Or we say that it was a coincidence that it happened. Uh, um, many times I fall victim to saying that the event occurred by coincidence. But when I tell the story, I tell it as if it's what God has done. It's not even that I believe in coincidence. But I, I, I speak like that because that's the jargon of our time. So church, we have to really catch it, really think about it. Are we saying that these, these things happen by chance? I would say to you that if we believe in God, nothing is by chance. That God is ordaining everything to happen or not happen. When God ordains it, it will happen. If God holds it back, it won't come to fruition. And we have to be okay with that. And we have to be okay with talking about that, that God willed it to happen or God did not will it to happen. There is no chance. When we, leave, when we, when we give way for even these ideas in our jargon, we give a foothold to the devil to exploit them. 
don't even compromise the way you talk. If it don't match your belief, don't say it. Speak the truth. Speak what you know is right. That God is in, that God is in the details. That the things that, that came about was because God had a hand in it. And if he and if it did come about, it's because God restrained it. He did not let it happen. It's many times that, that you read over history, and um, I was reading through uh, Charles Spurgeon's book about providence, and he was saying how he was speaking at this auditorium, and they had a bleacher, and that, that after he finished speaking, um, everybody, everybody fouled out of the, of the auditorium and out of the bleachers, and, and just as they was fouling out, the bleachers collapsed. And he said, had it been 30 minutes earlier, it would have been a thousand people dead. But he said, but he said, when they, it collapsed, it only was a was only people with broken, like a broken leg. So he said that this is God's providence. That, that he held that auditorium together for 30 more minutes. So that lives would not have been lost. So we see by, by providence things happen. That God allows things to that God allows things to happen. Um, take, for example, um, the story of Joseph. His father sends him to check on his brothers, right? His brothers throw him into, what was it, a well? Throw him into the well. Moments later, they sold him to some traders that shipped him to Egypt. Now, think about God's providence in that Reuben comes back for Joseph. He wanted to rescue him. But what happened? When he gets back, Joseph is no longer there. Had he been an hour, three hours, two hours earlier, he would have saved him. But he came when God allowed him to come. Why? Because Joseph needed to get where? To Egypt. Now, Joseph's in Egypt. He's, he's working. He worked his way up in Potiphar's house. Only to be what? To be sent to jail on some fraudulent charges. Worked his way up in the prison. Met two royal workers. One he, one he told they dream said, hey, no, you ain't going back. The other one he said, you going back. One dies, the other one goes back. Pharaoh then has a dream. And he says, oh, I know there, there's a person who can interpret it. Who's that person? Joseph. Joseph comes, interprets Pharaoh's dream. What does he do? Work his way back up. Now what is he? he he's, lead, he's a leader in all of Egypt. And his, his very brothers who sold him into slavery come to do what? Get some food. And now after, after a couple of times, he, he then reveals himself, and they're shocked. And Joseph, he doesn't rub it in their face. He says, God did all this to preserve life. He understood the providence of God. He understood that God will take you through the valleys to put you up on the mountain so that somebody can live. Can nobody do that but God? There, there is no story that man can tell that can top the story of how God's providence works in our lives. Time and time again, we should suffer, but God holds it back. Time and time again that 
his people. When you don't have, someone brings it along. That's not by luck. That's by God's providence. You need something somebody had you on their mind. That's God's providence. How many times have you needed prayer and somebody called and prayed for you? That's God's providence. God's providence works while you don't know it. Uh, Saul did not know what he was doing here. He, he, he did not know what he was doing here. But God is leading him to a point where he needed him. By God's providence. It is by God's leading. It is him ordering human history to bring about his end. We have to defend it. We can't let this culture take providence away from us. We can't leave things to probability. Why do we want to leave things to probability? It's no hope there. But if I know a God that sees me is working things out for my good, I have confidence. I have hope. There's no space for chance or happenstance. God is governing each event to bring about the end that he intends. Therefore, my encouragement to each of us is to check our jargon to see if it actually lines up with our theology. If we, if we believe in God, we cannot keep saying coincidence. We can't keep saying it happened by chance. We have to say that God worked this out for our good or God allowed me to go through this valley. Because he's God of the what? The hills and the valleys. Amen? Because when he takes you through a valley, he's taking you there to learn something. When he has you on the hill, he's, he's there to show you that I'm God and I took you from that valley. There's no, there's no room for pride because he walked you up that mountain. You didn't do it yourself. And he, he the one that leads you beyond, be beside still waters. You're the sheep of his pasture. He does it, the work, and you just are alone for the ride. Let's detail this providence. Let's look at detail of what's going on in this chapter. I'm not going to, the chapter is kind of long. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but we want to look at specific things, amen? Remember, we ended off on, uh, what was that, verse 5, where it says, when they came to the land of Zuth, again, what should happen to our ears? They should start ringing again. Why? Because we heard that name before. We heard it in 1 Samuel 1 and 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of uh, Tohu, the son of who? Zuh. Now, we see, we see that they came to a land of Samuel's people. This is Samuel's people. I came to the land of Zuh. They paused there. And now, all of a sudden, the reader can say, uh-oh, we know who live here. We know who people these. We know who people this is. This, this is 
This is Samuel's people. See, these are Samuel's kinfolk. All of a sudden, our anticipation should start rising. Because we are looking for something to happen. We should start to look for something to happen. What is God leading them on this journey for? They don't just name Zuff for no reason. Old Acts 4 here made it to the land of the prophets. There's so many things we can get into. Let me get let me give y'all this one little little nugget. Remember when we first encountered the birth of Samuel? Samuel is dedicated to the Lord. Samuel spends his time where? In the temple with Eli. Right? Spends his time in the temple with Eli. All of or, or the tabernacle with Eli. But now we read here that Samuel is back home. He was given to the Lord as a, as a kid, and now he's back home. God, return, God returned to the family what he, took, what he took away. Remember, they can only see him year after year. Now they can see Samuel, because Samuel what? He lives amongst them. Yeah, he goes on his journey doing his judgeship. But God returned a judge back to them. Oh, are we going to give our troubles, our, our kids, to Jesus? So he can return a man back to you. Or he can turn a, a mature woman back to you, full of the Holy Ghost. Oh, we like to have a stranglehold on them. Oh, give them over to Jesus and pray for them. Oh, see them when you can. Give them what you can, but give them to Jesus. Because what he gives you back is more than enough. Don't hold on so tight. Even if they stray right now, pray for them and give them to Jesus. Give them up. Don't hold on to them. Pray for them. You want them saved, but give them to Jesus. And he'll return back to you what you, what you prayed for. Look at the blessings of God. Oh, it was heartbreaking when we was reading through there. Oh, she can only go see her son once a year. Oh, that was heartbreaking. Oh, but when he came back, the man that came back was far superior to the little boy who left. Amen? I told you, God is in the detail. If we're looking at him. So, old Saul, old asks for, he makes it to the land of Zoph. God is down, now the reader can look at what's happening and say, this is not a story about two or three donkeys going missing. That's not what this is about. This is about getting this man to this country to meet. Samuel, right? It says, next, so we, we see that God is providentially moving Saul. How did he providentially move Saul? Well, donkeys go missing, right? But why did the donkeys go missing? Because their master had need of them. I'm not talking about uh, Kish. I'm talking about God. God had need of them. God had need. I need you to run away. So Kish can send his son 
And so he can get to stuff. And so then we see that so God is sovereign over his creatures. He's sovereign over or, or he, he, his providence reigns over also the decisions that are made. He probably could have just sent some servants. No, but he sent his son to retrieve the donkey. So he's sovereign over decisions. And now you can see that he's even sovereign or his providence reigns over conversation or argument, right? So they get to Zuff, and the next thing we see that Saul wants to abort the mission. He said, let's go back. My father's going to start worrying about us and not about these donkeys. But the servants say, hold on, we're too close. We need to ask Samuel what's going on. Now, now think about this. Who's the servant and who's the master? Who, who's the servant? And the, 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 the servant says, we, we, we're starting to reason with the master here. So, so why, why is this able to happen? Because God ordained it. God ordained it. Because Saul wants to turn back, and God said, no, you still got some more, some more miles to go. You can't stop at Zup. You got to get all the way to his house. So they're reasoning with you. They're reasoning. And then Saul tried to make a shoe, say, hey, well, we don't have nothing to give. Then all of a sudden, the servant says, look, I have a quarter shekel. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this man got some money to give. Hold on, the, the, the NASB says, look, I have in my hand a, a fourth of a shekel. And one commentator said, where was this miracle shekel coming from? All of a sudden, because Saul said, we don't got no food. What are we going to give? And all of a sudden, he opened his hand and said, hold on, I got a shekel. I got a quarter shekel. Now, I don't know if that's the going rate for a profit, but hey, it's something. And they say, yeah, let's go ahead. We'll go ahead and give it to him. Said nothing is holding us back now. So what's going on here? And God is, whether, whether it was a supernatural event or whether the servant was, had a secret stash, God had everything prepared for them to get to Samuel. So this conversation, this conversation happens, and we see that God providentially allows the servant to sway his master to keep going. But it, God's providence doesn't stop there. We see that they get to this point where they're asking these, they get to the point where the women are coming out to draw water. Now, if you're a good studier of the Bible, only good stuff happens at the wells when women go draw water. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Read every instance of the Bible where a woman is at the well. Only good stuff. People finding wives. People getting fed. There's all kind of good stuff. Hey. Brothers, if y'all single, go find a whale. Uh -huh. Yeah, if, if you're a single woman, go to the whale. There's only 
Who, who was that? I, I think that was, was that Jacob? Jacob at the well? Moses at the well? When uh, the woman, the woman at the well found the well. She was, at, she was at a physical well, but she found the well. Abraham's servant? Let me tell you, the Bible is good to women at wells, you know what I mean? If you want to find, people say, oh, they, they paint the Bible, paint women in such bad lights in the Bible. No, they must not have read the well verses. So, so we have these we have these young ladies going out to grab grab water, and we have Saul we have Saul at, with these women going to grab water at the well, right? Good, uh, what they say, good vibes only at the well, amen. As soon they they tell they tell uh, Saul and his servant, as soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up on the high place to eat. Don't hurry. So you can see how God is manipulating time here, manipulating the pace of events. You know, they, they, they've been talking about this shekel for a while. They're like, hold on, Samuel's about to get to the high place. You, you, you got to hurry now. You got to hurry. Y'all done wasted some time. Go hurry. They, they hurry up, and what happened? Verse 14, the exact way that what the women said was going to happen, happened. If we look at verse 14, it says, so they went up to the city. And as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. You see how God is in the details? He worked all those events, all that searching, all that talking, all the meeting time. He made sure that they got there at the exact same time. I can't even put my coordinates in Google and get that. Right, yeah, I be driving down the street, my time be going farther and further. God did all this manipulating, all this manipulating, the, the pace of how they traveled, where they was traveling, how they looked, where they looked, when they talked to each other, how long the conversation went, how, the pace of whether I should hurry up or slow down. God is coordinating all this so two people can meet their prophets at the same time when he's coming out. Look at God. Look how he works. All to give you what you asked for, right? That's right. All to give you what you asked for. So we have to look at the providence of God. Next we want to look at the plan of God. God's plan and his providence go hand in hand. God is working out events that line up with his plan, everything goes to his intended end. We look at Pilate, for all his flaw, despite all his flaws, did actually want to release Jesus. Actually offering up Barabbas in his, in his stead. But what Pilate didn't know was that God had providentially worked Jesus to get to this point. That his plan was unfolding. And so it was nothing that Pilate could do to stop it. Actually, Pilate was part of God's plan. He had a part to play in it. 
He needed to be the person that carried out the execution. So God's plan is always going towards his intended end. He doesn't change based on what we want. No, he doesn't change. He, he, he has a plan. That plan is going to work. We either want to buck the system, but we, all of our bucking can't stop God's plan. Think about it. Paul on the road to Damascus, Jesus asked him, why are you kicking against the goals? I'm, 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 prodding, I'm prodding you in a direction here. I'm prodding my church in a direction here. You know what? You're part of my plan. Get on the other side. Man, no longer are you an enemy. You're my friend now. Man, and it's nothing that, that Paul did to deserve it, but it's God's plan. It's God's plan. He's working it towards his end. So we especially see this in Saul starting in verse 15. Remember, all this is happening. All this is happening. Saul is unaware of anything that's happening. Um, but God reveals it through the narrator. He says, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. Look at this. The narrator gave us all these events only to tell us that God already knew what was going to happen. God already knew that he had Saul on a collision course with Samuel at this time. God already knew it. This is his plan. But we just got a part to play in it. Our little feeble, uh, uh, finite self, we got to go through hills and valleys over, over and over all this so God can get us to the point. But God already knows what point he wants us at. If he could, he would just jet us there, but we're, we're finite. So, so Saul had to go on his journey just so he can get there. So he gets there, and God knows that he's sending him a man from Benjamin. And Samuel starts to pr prepare for it, right? And there's a lesson to be learned from watching Samuel's preparation uh, in the response to God's announcement that he was sending him somebody the next day. Samuel acted in faith to God's plan. When God said, I'm going to send you, he, he scheduled a banquet. He said, hey, give me 30 people. We're going we're gonna to go up here. We're going to celebrate. He scheduled a banquet knowing that the man who promised him was going to fulfill it. God, God promised it, he was going to fulfill it. Look at Samuel acting in faith. When we first met him, God was calling him and he was running everywhere. But now the aged one is in lockstep with God. Right, right, he's a mature saint now. He, he, he's ready to say, hey, God, you said it, let me go do it. You, you see, that's what we need to learn. We, we need to learn from our aged, mature saints. Don't cast them away. Look at them and see how locked up we're in tune with the word of God that they are. God said it, they're doing it. They're walking by faith and not by sight. You know, so much time is spent as you're young, you're planning and making, and I'm not, I'm not uh, casting any doubt on plans. But 
A lot of times you watch older saints and they just are obedient to the word of God. No plan. No, 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 no five, ten step point of action. No, no, no. God told me to go over here and, and, and give you some shoes and I'm doing it. They're just in lockstep with God. They, they, they know what God wants and they're just doing it. They, they know what God desires. Their hearts are bent towards God. They don't need any kind of human manipulation. They say, God, God, what do you want? I want you. And they say, okay, how do you want me? I pray that we all mature like that. That we go past what we, what we think and see to, to realize that God is calling us. Let's look at these last three points, and I'll, I'll be done. Um, God's plan is good for you. God's plan is good for you, right? Saul followed uh, Samuel up to the high place where a meal was prepared for him. From the description of it, it seemed like a tasty portion of food. They pulled out that leg. I can only think, man, that leg must have looked good. They said, hey, Go get that. Go get that quarter that I was uh, told. That portion I told you was for the special guest. And they pulled out that leg. Saul probably was like, "Man, I never seen something like this before." Right? But God's plan is good for us. The Bible tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Again, the psalmist says, "The rules of the Lord are true." And Righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey. And dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. God is good. His plan is good. It's good for us. That you can only look at at what Saul was given and said that what Samuel was giving him was good. He was about to give him the plan of God, and it's going to be a good plan. You probably say, but well, we already know how Saul turned out. But that don't mean that God's plan not good. God's plan is good. Next, God's plan, God's plan satisfies you. After Saul eats, there is nothing to do but what? Go to sleep. He, he, gets, he, gets that, he gets that good leg meat. This, this Samuel just walks him up to the roof and says, here go your bed. He said, uh, that meal had to be good. And Saul must be just like the rest of us. Once he gets that good meal, it's time to lay it down. Like I see y'all in the morning. This is true of us who partake in the plan of God also. We are satisfied. We are content with pleasing God alone. God's plan satisfies us. Following God's plan satisfies us. We don't need nothing else. As, as we follow the plan of God, we will be satisfied. Right? Um, us, as we are obedient to God, allows for a great burden to be lifted. No longer do we feel the dread of disobeying God. You know, when we disobey God, when we go contrary to his plan, we feel this condemnation. 
It's a burden there that tells us that you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Don't you? Y'all remember feeling that? We know that feeling. But you know, once you go back and do it, you say, oh, I got it right. We got that freedom now. Remember Jesus told that parable and said, which one of the sons was better to his father? One that said that they was going to do it and never did it? Or one that said I wasn't going to do it and then I went back and did it? Well, the better one was the one who went back. And that's how we are. Well, sometimes we got to go back. After being disobedient, we have to go back and be obedient. Get it right. Get it right with God. Then get it right with your neighbors, right? That's what God wants us to do. That's his plan. He said live peaceably with all men. He said do good, do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. That's God's plan. And let it be satisfying to you. Let it be sweet to you. What does the psalmist say? Sweeter than a dripping. It's almost a honeycomb, right? The fresh honey, the organic honey. Lastly, God's plan is unfolding. It's still unfolding. God's plan is still unfolding. We, we are left here at a climax. In verse 27, they said they reached the outskirts of the city, and they said, tell the servants to pass before us. When he has passed, when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. And that's how the chapter ends. But what does that show us? That God's plan is still unfolding. We don't know the end of it. We don't know all that it encompasses. Right? But, but it's still unfolding. Um, know that every, uh, each and every situation that God brings you to, it brings you closer to your crown. Right? This is what's happening with Saul. It's getting him closer to his crown. And now Saul is getting a crown that's going to fade. But your crown is not going to fade. Listen, we are going towards an eternal crown. Look at God's plan is unfolding, and it's going to end with us reigning. We're going to reign with Jesus Christ. You see, Saul had a temporary reign. It only was going to be for as long as he was alive. His crown was temporary. But God is going to give us an eternal crown. Look, look, what, look what Paul told, uh, I believe this was Timothy. He said, if we endure hardships, we will reign with him. We will reign with him. God is going to put a crown on your head. He, he, he told the Ephesians, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once uh, lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our, our bodies and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Oh, but we get to verse 4. It says, but God, being rich in, in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. That by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He took us and put us in Christ Jesus. 
And where is Jesus at? He's reigning. He's reigning. Hey, you don't understand that you are reigning already. But God got to get you to that point where I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to give you that crown, but you got to go through something. You got to follow my plan. I got a plan for you, and that plan is going to end with you reigning. You're going to reign with my son. Matter of fact, you're going to look like my son because I only make one king. The Bible says we don't know what we're going to be like, but one thing we know, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. We're going to reign with Christ. If you don't believe it, something is wrong with you. You don't believe in God's plan. How do we know that Christ is reigning already? Paul told them in verse in chapter 1 of Ephesians. He said that God had placed Christ far above all principalities and power and everything that has been there in this world and the world to come. Christ is reigning and God said he's putting us in Christ. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. It's going to end with a crown. Not like Saul's crown. Not like Saul's crown. It's going to end with an eternal crown. This is going to end with a, a crown that will not fade. It will not perish. Saul said all these athletes, they compete for a crown. But that crown is going to go brown. That reef is going to dry out. But he is running so that he will discipline his body so that he can run and get an eternal crown. One that will not fade. Oh, do we see God's plan? Do we see God's providence? I hope we see it, church. This is God's plan for us. It is still unfolding. But we trust that he who started the work will complete it. So come what may, right? Come what may. Both trials and triumphs, they're both from God. Because he is a God of providence and plan. Amen. Thank the Lord. We do hope that you enjoyed this sermon. For more information on Revelation Church, you can look us up on the internet at therev310.org. Again, that's therev310.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.